Good morning. Hope you all are doing well this morning. My name is Jerry Witt. I am the next generation pastor at our church, which is like the coolest pastoral name of all times. Uh, I oversee our, our student ministry and our children and preschool ministry in the church. Uh, I've been the our church for like almost 14 years now. I've been the youth pastor for 13 of those years. So I've been here a long, long time. Yes, you can say it's exciting. I've aged a lot. You know, I noticed the last few weeks here, we're looking at some old pictures when I went to the summer camp this year, and I'm getting kind of scared because of some old pictures of me, and they go, wow, you look so young then. I'm thinking, that's not very encouraging right now, is it? I look so young then. Uh, hey, let me start off with a, a word of prayer this morning, okay? Dear Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you, uh, God, for just the privilege to come to your house and to worship you this morning. Lord, we pray uh, for ourselves and that we will hear from you this morning, God. That's not just a, another lesson, another message, another whatever. God, it doesn't really impact our lives, God. So we pray right now for the power of the Holy Spirit to come down and speak life and truth to us, God, to breathe life into our souls, God. That's what you are, you're a life giver. So, Father, we pray for that this morning. And also, I ask everyone out to say this little prayer in their heart, uh, just quietly, and it's simple. God, if you have something you want to say to me, Lord, I'm listening. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. You ever had one of those days where things didn't seem really work out the way you wanted to work out with? You ever had those, experienced those where uh, no matter what you did, things kind of just backfired on you? You ever had that? You experienced that a little bit uh, here and occasionally? Uh, matter of fact, the harder you try, the worse things got. Uh, well, that's kind of my story uh, growing up into my young adulthood. No matter what I planned to do, it seemed like it just didn't really work out the way I planned on doing it. I never planned to be in the ministry. Did you guys know that? Never planned to do it. Wasn't my plan uh, to do what I'm doing now. It was God's plan, and I'm so thankful it was his plan because a good lesson learned right now that God's plan is always better than your plan, right? It's always better than your plan. And God's plan for me was to be in the ministry and so thankful that he has a good and righteous plan for my life and for your life. Um, I was born in Barberton, Ohio. It's a suburb of Akron, Ohio. And I have a baby picture up here of me being a youngster here. Uh, but I was born there. Uh, yes, isn't that a great picture? That's my mom's favorite picture of me. I don't know what she did to think of the hair for. I'm trying to mimic it nowadays, but it doesn't really look the same way. Uh, but I was born in Barberton, like I said, it was, that was Akron, Ohio. And I was born to a church-going family. We went to church all the time. My parents were believers, and some of my earliest memories are of the church growing up. And one of my earliest memories in the church was when I was five years old, going to church with my dad really extra early on Sunday morning. So if you know anything about me, extra early is not a good definition of me on a Sunday morning. I'm not an extra early person. Uh, but I didn't go extra early on Sunday morning with him because my dad told me if I go extra early with him, uh, that there'll be a surprise for me at the church. And uh, so I'm all about surprises and I wanted to go extra early with him. And so uh, I went to church one Sunday morning extra early with him. The home church I grew up in had a bus ministry. I don't know if you guys remember these, but you may remember some of these. Uh, churches used to go out in communities and neighborhoods and bus people in uh, to their church. And my dad was one of the bus drivers at my home church that would go out into the community and bus people to bring them to the church on Sunday morning. And the church I attended in Akron, Ohio, it's called Akron Baptist Temple. And at that time, it had like the largest bus ministry in the country. It had 63 buses. That's awesome, isn't it? 63 buses. They weren't little buses. They were like the full-size school bus stuff. So my dad asked me to go in Sunday morning with them. So I went in with them, and the surprise was in the bus garage where he picked the keys up at, there were donuts. Yeah, you heard me, donuts. And my dad told me I could have all the donuts I wanted because my mom wasn't around. 
Okay, so that was pretty exciting in and of itself. Uh, and so I would go with him for my donuts on Sunday morning. Some of my earliest memory, memories of church is doing that and, and going to church with my dad. And I went there, uh, really, you know, it's for the wrong reason, right? There's my five-year-old donut-eating self right there. That guy loved donuts. If you knew him at five, he would, he would eat he would use some donuts down. Uh, but I would go with him, uh, and we would do the bus, we'd do the route for the church we do it, but I think I want to tell you that because really the, my motivation wasn't really the right motivation, was it? Now, my motivation wasn't ministry. I, mean, I want to go minister to people. My motivation was donuts, right? And so kind of that theology a little bit, or at least that idea of that theology, kind of marked my whole entire life growing up. And I had some bad theological thoughts going on in my mind, uh, what church is and what Jesus was growing up. I attended a church, and you know, the church in Ohio was a great church. Uh, it was a Bible-teaching church, and they taught us great Bible stories. What they didn't do a great job at, though, is teaching you the why behind the Bible stories. Uh, I learned at a young age that, man, that hellfire and brimstone hell's punishment, but I didn't realize uh, why I deserved it. I learned uh, to say the sinner's prayer as a little kid, uh, but I didn't realize why I needed to say that prayer uh, growing up. I didn't realize why I needed to say the prayer that I was a sinner other than saying the prayer kept me, uh, from, kept me from going to hell and going to heaven. So it's no surprise at a young age when I, I, I said a prayer so I could go to heaven. It had nothing to do with a relationship with Jesus. It had everything with avoiding hell. I don't know if you guys can relate to that at all, but I said a prayer because I didn't want to go to hell. It had nothing to do with a relationship with Christ. It had nothing to do with avoiding, avoiding going to hell. And I had a, really a Christ, I mean, a Jerry-centered gospel, right? It was all about me and what I wanted and my desires, um, and I wanted everything that Jesus had to offer me, which was heaven at that time, but I wanted none of those responsibilities. And I think that's probably a historical issue we have in the church, isn't it? We want all the good stuff available to us in the church, but none of the responsibility of stewardship of the church. Um, we want the benefits of persuasion of Christ, but very little the responsibility of living that relationship out. You know, we love, actually turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. It's a great thing to kind of mark in your Bible. It's a good reminder for us. Um, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. And um, as you kind of think about this a little bit, I'll, I'll kind of talk through this for you. When all these benefits of following Christ, but really none of the responsibilities, uh, what that means for us in our lives. And in Matthew 5, uh, 13 it's a very familiar verse. It says, you are the salt of the earth. And I think we like that verse, right? Because we like embracing being the salt of the earth. We like the moral authority that tell people what's right and wrong. This is wrong. This is right. The Bible says it. We enjoy that part. But so much, so much of the time, we shun the second part of that verse, right? In Matthew 5, uh, 14, which says, you're going to be the light of the world. It means that we're supposed to live out our Christian life. Matter of fact, we're supposed to practice what we preach. Right? That's what you're supposed to do. The guy says, you know, you're going to solve the earth, right and wrong. You're supposed to live that out in, in the culture you live in. But we kind of shun that second part of it. We don't want that responsibilities. And if we shun that second part of it, we never get to experience the Matthew 5, 16, which is this. The Bible says, let your light shine before others that they may see your, God, your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We never get to participate in God's good work he's doing in the world because we're kind of shunning our responsibilities at that time, right? To live and to be that light in the world we live in. And so we don't get to experience that because we're shunning the other part of it. So I absorbed a lot of bad theology growing up. Uh, some things that weren't exactly right, and I kind of absorbed them. But thank God that he wasn't finished with me, and God was faithful to finish his good work in my life. Good lesson for you. God is faithful to always finish his good work in your life. 
Philippians 1.6 tells us that. It's a promise. It says, be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you is faithful to carry that work out to completion until Christ Jesus. So God is bigger. This is a big thought for you. God is bigger than your theology. You guys know that? He's bigger than what you think he is. He's bigger than your theology. He's bigger than your issues and your problems. He's bigger in all those things. God is going to have his way in your life. Because God has a plan for life, and it's a great plan. It's a good plan. He's going to have your way in your life. And I learned that plan over, learned that lesson over and over again growing up. No matter what I would plan, God was going to have his way in my life. No matter how much I fought it, how much I ran away from it, God said, I'm always going to be faithful to continue my work in your life. I'm going to finish what I started in you. And so I learned that lesson. Also, I learned another very important lesson, which is one of the key points in our lesson this morning is this, that God uses people. God uses people for his glory, for his kingdom. If someone's going to be reached with the gospel because someone out here, some person is going to share that with them. God uses people. And God used people in my life as well, growing up, all kinds of people to kind of breathe life into my life. Even though my theology was kind of bad, even though I didn't really believe exactly the way everyone else believes sometimes, God used people because people are God's A game. There is no plan B. You guys realize that? There's no plan B. If someone's going to be reached with the gospel, if someone's life's going to be turned around, God is going to use a person to do that for you. And so we are God's plan A. There is no plan B. Um, and so it kind of brings me to our, my life first today, which we saw in the bumper video. It's John 10.10, 10, and it says this, The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I have come, that you may have life and have it to the fullest. And as I was preparing the lesson, I'm going to share with you some people who breathed life into my life through different stages and uh, kind of really simplify different aspects of that passage of Scripture, which uh, I call my life first today. Um, growing up, I was always uh, about having fun. Man, I was a fun kid, and I have a picture of me right here. Again, that guy was a fun guy right there. Man, he loved having fun. He enjoyed everything there was with fun. Yes, he's awesome. Um, he thought he was awesome too, uh, but he loved having fun. I loved having fun growing up, and I liked it so much that I was kind of gravitated toward things that were fun. So I gravitated towards like sports. So I played a lot of sports growing up. I played basketball and football and baseball. I wrestled. I ran track because they were fun. And I was pretty good at all of them because they were fun. And I kind of ran away from things that weren't that fun, like schoolwork. That wasn't very fun, right? Reading, not fun at all uh, growing up. And sometimes being involved in the church and doing church activities wasn't fun for me at all. So I would kind of run away from that as well because it wasn't very much. It seemed boring to me. And maybe some of you guys can relate to that too about church being boring. Some of us, and I'm looking out there, I can see something. Sometimes we wander around, don't we, during services? Because maybe what's going on in the service isn't that exciting to you. And you run around, so that was my story growing up. And it was, I thought it was boring. I didn't understand. So I kind of avoided being involved in my church very much growing up. Um, but when I was nine years old, um, my parents moved to West Virginia. Uh, we moved to a place called Parksburg, West Virginia. And uh, right there, a great family picture of my family right there. I'm the kid on the end with my eyes closed. Um, <laughs> the reason I did that for because it's way funner. My eyes closed to keep open in the picture because everyone expected the eyes being open. Not me. I was fun. I didn't want to do that. Um, but when I was nine years old, we moved to West Virginia, and we joined a new church. And in many ways, the church we joined was really quite the opposite of the church I was coming from. Uh, the church I, I came from was a, a fundamentalist Baptist church. And some of you guys may know what that is, but... 
Uh, my father was about a church I grew up in, uh, was very black and white on a lot of issues, and very staunch on Christian living issues, on what you should wear and how you should dress, how you should carry yourself, and also I mean, what translation of the Bible was the, way, the right one to read. And I, I grew up in that church, so we moved to West Virginia. The church we attended was kind of opposite. It was kind of more liberal on those areas, where the church in Ohio very much told me about hell's punishment and judgment all the time. The church in West Virginia told me about God's grace, love, and mercy uh, more. And they weren't quite as staunch on the issues of Christian living. But the reason my parents uh, joined that church was because they had a, a really a thriving children and student ministry. And that was kind of unusual back in the late 70s, early 80s, kind of dating myself, uh, for a church to have that. You know, youth ministries weren't everywhere at that time. They were in some places, but not everywhere. And so the church I grew up in had a full-time children's pastor and also had a full-time youth pastor. And so it's kind of unusual that my parents joined that church because they had something for our whole family to be involved in. And so during that prayer life, that very first spiritual mentor came involved in my life. And the very first spiritual mentor I had in my life was the youth pastor at that church. His name was Jim Mike Ward. And he was a youth, youth pastor at North Park Baptist Church, where I grew up at. And Jim Mike was like the coolest guy I thought in the whole entire world. Uh, I played football growing up. I have a football picture, too. I was a stud back then. No. Uh, yeah, uh, that's me right there. So Jim Mike was a football coach at our local high school, one of the assistant coaches. And I, I loved football, so we already had a connection there. And the reason it was such a big deal is this, because in my hometown, football rolled. I mean, it was the thing. I mean, there's not much to do in West Virginia on a Friday night, okay? But we played football, and it was a big deal. And so much, though, that my, foot, my, my home high school, man, they didn't really excel. Matter of fact, I don't know, three or four years ago, ESPN um, did a show called Titletown, and they spotlighted like 10 of the top high schools in the country with the most winning programs of sports. Uh, and they spotlighted my high school in West Virginia. We were number three school in the nation like three years ago with most state championships, okay? So it was a big, big deal. Uh, for us. As a matter of fact, my home high school just last, yesterday, Friday night, won their 800th game. I mean, yeah, 800 game. Yeah, it's pretty awesome for high school. So it was a big deal. I want you to know it's a big deal. And him being the coach was a big deal. And he came to my church, left the being a coach, left teaching to come to the youth pastor of my church. And so my life intersected with Jim Mike. And Jim Mike showed me a very important lesson early on in my life that I needed to know. And it was this, being a Christian or being a Christ follower could be fun. Being a Christian, being a Christ follower could be fun. You know, it wasn't a deep theological uh, lesson, but it was one that I needed to understand. You know, the Bible tells us in John 10, 10, my life first, man, I have come to give you life to the fullest. To me, the fullness was fun, enjoyment. That's what God came to give me, fun and enjoyment. Obviously, that truth in and of itself is not life-changing, but I was all about having fun already, right? So if I was having fun at church or with my friends or at a party, I didn't matter where the fun was at. I just wanted to be there. Uh, wherever it's happening. So my theology is still kind of centered on me. You know, what's the church have for me? What's the God have to offer me personally? Uh, and so I wasn't really doing a corner, but Jim Mike being there during those time, that years in my life, uh, kept me engaged in the church long enough where I was open and I was receptive to hear from the Lord still. And so during those years, it was very important for him to know that, man, being a follower of Christ for me at that early age, well, it could be fun. It can be enjoyment. And it's a good lesson to learn that God wasn't out there to rip me off of having a good time. And I think sometimes we think God's to do that, isn't it? We think God's out there to rip you off or having a life of significance or fun or enjoyment. Uh, we think he's not wanting to do any of those things. But that's not true, man. God wants you to have a full, abundant life. And not that everything's going to be fun all the time, but he wants you to have fullness of life. See, God is the author. He's the creator of life. 
So it doesn't only make sense he knows how to live life, right? And so God's out there to help you live life to the fullest and protect you from things that are going to harm you. And it's a lesson I learned growing up, that God wasn't out there to rip me off, man. He wanted me to have this full life. He wanted to protect me from things that were going to harm me. And I learned also a very important lesson that time I learned that God loved me. Matter of fact, God was crazy in love with me. So much so that he chose to die and not have a relationship with me. And that's a good thing to write down, by the way, that God loves you so much he chose to die rather than not have a relationship with you. And those are some good, solid truths I had growing up that I had this God in the universe who created the, the heavens and brought the sun up this morning or bring the moon out tonight and put the stars in the sky and created the water and the mountain. That God loved me. Incredible truth. But like a lot of kids who are late teen or early college, having fun and some of this truth weren't enough for me sometimes. And probably in my 12th grade year, I kind of started veering away from the church a little bit, not being so actively involved in it. And that process continued in my life through my college years. Um, I kind of walked away from the church. I was looking for things that were going to fulfill my life, you know. And even though the church was fun, I needed something more, I thought, early on in my life. And so I went away to college and I kind of walked away from the church. And I, I did everything that I thought was going to give me that full college experience. I don't know if you guys have heard that before, but we all with that full college experience. So I did everything I could to kind of fill that void in my life that, uh, that I was looking for. And so I, I played intramural sports in college and did every sport there was in the world, intramural sports. I, uh, I joined the Young Republicans in my college. Uh, I went to political rallies. Uh, I was an activist. Uh, I joined a fraternity. I lived in a frat house. I did all those things because I thought those things were going to give me fulfillment and give me that full college experience, but I didn't realize then I was looking for temporal things that filled this void in my life that can only be filled by eternal things. And so I, I pursued after that. And those years, man, they were a struggle for me spiritually. I struggled in my walk with the Lord and what he wanted with my life, and he cared about who I was whatsoever. And that's when God brought the second mentor into my life who, uh, who breathed life into my weary soul. And the second guy he brought into my life during those years was a guy named Rick Varner. And Rick Varner was the college and career pastor at my, uh, my home church. And Rick taught me a, a huge lesson. He taught me a lot of stuff. And Rick was a very interesting guy. Rick... Uh, um, was an iron worker, so he's a little rough around the edges. He's a little gruff a little bit. Uh, but when he was in his young, early 30s, he, uh, he got a heart disease that started eating away his heart. And uh, what happened to him, he had to end up getting a heart transplant. And so during that period of his life, Rick came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And when he got out of the hospital, after his heart transplant, got better, got back into doing his normal routine. He could no longer be a pipe fitter. He couldn't climb buildings and do stuff he used to do. So he started volunteering at our home church. And as he volunteered at our home church, he volunteered as the, you know, the young single college and career pastor uh, at our church. And so Rick taught me a great lesson uh, that being a follower of Christ meant being a genuine friend. Being a follower of Christ meant I was going to be a genuine friend. You had to be that. And you guys are familiar with the verse Proverbs 18:24. It says, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Rick was that guy for me during those years in my life. Even though I was surrounded by friends, college, you know, fraternity brothers, guys that grew up with young Republicans, I was surrounded by people. None of them cared for my soul like Rick did. 
And what's cool about Rick, he had no agenda for my life, man. He didn't want to try to build a ministry. I don't know if Rick knew what a building ministry even was. Uh, he didn't want to do that. All he wanted from me, he wanted from me to fall in love in Jesus like he had. And so he wasn't perfect, man. He, he had issues. And Rick would be the first one to tell you uh, that he had issues. He wasn't seminary trained. Uh, he even wasn't that articulate when he spoke. And he was simply, great lesson for you guys, available and genuine. And he was my friend. So much time in life, I think that we think God will never use us because we don't have the gifts and abilities God has given us to be used in the ministry. I can't sing. I can't do this. I can't do that. And God says, I don't need your ability. I don't need any of our talents. You know that? God doesn't need you. But he wants to use you, and he wants you to be available. And that's what Rick was. God, God used Rick just to be available in our lives and in my life. And when God, when you are available to God, God will do more with your life than you could possibly ever imagine. And I learned a lot of great lessons from Rick. One lesson I learned is this, life is short. Rick didn't know from month to month who he's going to live the next month. Pretty important lesson. Life is short. You have to make sure that you have your house in order. He also told me, never tell God what he should do with your life or with anything, because God's going to do what he wants to do anyways. Rick taught me a great lesson. Rick was a great people person. Uh, he said, Jerry, we are to love people because God loves people, not because they deserve it. And I was a recipient of that. I didn't deserve to be loved by Rick or cared for him, but God loved me. And so God loved me, Rick loved me. Great lesson, right? And also, Rick taught me this, that God can do more with a little than we can do with everything. This was a great lesson, and Rick reached out to me in my college years, and he would call me on the phone and just check in with me, see how I was doing, so I'm praying for you, and occasionally he'd send me some money in the mail, you know, like 20 bucks to go get a meal on me or whatever it is, just thinking about you, praying about you. And in the summer times, uh, I'd come home, he'd get me involved in the church by letting me be on the church softball team. And, you know, he had a little bit of agenda there because being on the church softball team, you had to attend church at least once or twice a month, okay? And so I did that during the summertime. Uh, and so Rick reached out to me and um, he often told me that God was going to use me for his glory someday. I didn't believe it at the time. That's what Rick told me. He said, God, I'm going to use you someday. If you're available, God will use you. And also, Rick didn't pull punches either. He spoke truth into my life, and he told me the way I was living my life, that I was going to destroy my life. You know, John 10 said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he said, that was Satan's agenda for your life, Jerry. That he's going to destroy your life. If you continue the way you're living, he's going to destroy your life. And he also told me this. This is something worth writing down because I still remember it. When every time I'm thinking about jumping in and doing something, I know it's not right. He said, Jerry, you know, uh, sin will always take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. I'll repeat that for you because it's a good thing to write down. I've used it so many times in my life. Uh, sin will keep you longer than you want to stay, take you further than you want to go, and cost you more than you want to pay. The thief's agenda for your life is to still to kill and destroy. Don't mistake that. Sin's going to cost you. And he told me it was going to cost me. We all need friends like Rick in our life, don't we? We all need to be friends like Rick too, don't we? Who breathe life into people's lives and tell them God's truth about them. Don't hold punches and tell them what God thinks of them and what they need to be doing. Um, 
And so that's a challenge for me this day to try to be that type of friend, that God doesn't need someone to be richer or stronger or taller or, or whatever. He wants you and me to be available. And God says, you're available, I will use you. So after I graduated from college, I moved back to my hometown. Uh, and because of the relationship that Rick cultivated with me uh, through my college years, he asked me to be involved in a Bible study that he was doing on a Tuesday night in my, at our home church. And I, I went to it, it felt almost out of obligation because Rick was so nice to me, I should go to this Bible study. So I went with him, and I was pretty faithful almost every week going to it. And then one week, he said, Jerry, hey, I'm going to be gone next week. Can you teach the lesson uh, that we're going to have that next following Tuesday? And I said, sure, Rick, I'll, I'll teach it for you. To be honest, I didn't want to teach it. But once again, the sense of obligation that I needed to do, and he asked me to do it, so I guess I will do it. Uh, and he gave me a lesson that night, and I kind of just glanced over. Oh, sure, I can take care of this. Mostly a discussion stuff. But little did I know, by agreeing that night to uh, teach that, that lesson that next Tuesday was going to change my life for eternity. Not just my eternity, but my day-to-day life as well. And so here we go. The next Tuesday comes along. I pull the lesson Rick gave, out, gave to me. Probably didn't pull it out of the folder he gave to me until the night before. And I looked at it, and it was just a salvation lesson. You know, it said just a salvation lesson. But just how you know that a person's saved. I looked at the verses. Oh, sure, I, I got this no problem. So it was a typical, you know, lesson that we'd read. You'd expect to read some verses like John 3.16, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23. All the verses that I've heard my whole entire life about uh, being saved. But then there's one verse in there that I've never read ever when it came to the salvation message. And it's found in Luke chapter 13. So you Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, verses 3 and 5. As I went into the lesson that night, I didn't realize that my life is forever going to be changed and God was going to speak very clearly to me and clear up the bad theology that I had my whole entire life. But God's word is powerful, and he, and he will do those very things if you get the opportunity to, that, that word to sink into your life. And so I turn to Luke chapter 13, verse 3, and give you some context and background. Some people are asking Jesus about you know, who, who deserves heaven or you know, who's, who's better, who's worse, whatever these questions are asking them. And Jesus answers them, that, hey, it doesn't matter what your background's like, no matter who deserves heaven or hell more, unless you repent you also perish. And then a couple of verses later in, verses, in verse 5, it says it again, unless you repent, you too will perish. And when I read that verse that night, man, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And the people left the room, and they went home, and I stayed in that room, and I got my Bible out, and I read that verse again about being a follower of Christ. All the verses I've heard my whole entire life, I never heard this whole idea about repentance and turning from my sin. And when I read that verse that night, it scared me to death. Because I realized that very night that there's nothing in my life that says I have to follow Christ. I had no fruits of the Spirit. There was a joy, peace happening. None of that stuff was in my life whatsoever. If you ask my friends, they'd have no idea I was a follower of Christ. And I realized that night that if I would have died up to that point, man, I was doomed for hell. Because there's nothing in my life that said that I was a follower of Christ. Because I said a prayer when I was a young kid, the void hell didn't give me heaven. God wanted my heart and he wanted my life and he needed me to repent. I have some responsibilities. You have some responsibilities as a follower of Christ. It's not a magical prayer that saves you. It's the heart issue. When a heart changes, it means you have repentance in your life. And repentance happens 
and you turn to Christ, everything starts changing. And for me that night, when I read that verse, and that first night I got down on my knees and I prayed, and I said, God, I'm so sorry. I repent. I turn. God, I want to follow you. Everything I learned in church growing up all came together for me. All those puzzles me start falling in place. And I was so excited about this new relationship I had with Christ. That, that emptiness I had in my heart was finally filled. So excited. I called my brother on the phone and went, Terry, you understand that this prayer we said we're kids, it's not magical. You need to repent and turn from your sin. And you're a worse sinner than I am. You need to turn. You're going to die. You're going to hell. And he kind of blew me off that night. But I was so excited about this idea about being filled with the Spirit. And this thing I've been looking for my whole entire life was found and I made complete in a relationship with Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit empowered in my life. I couldn't keep quiet about it. So after I prayed to receive Christ, God knew I needed some help. I mean, I was going to need some help to kind of catch up all these years. I kind of just ran away from the church and ran away from God. And so it's during that period of my life, man, that God sent this next person to my life, a guy named Wes Aram. He was the new youth pastor at my home church. And Wes breathed life into my life. And Wes taught me a very important lesson, that being a Christ follower meant you need to be holy set apart from sin. And as I prayed to receive Christ a few months prior to him getting there, and God sent him into my life, as my life started transforming, because that's what God wants to do. He wants to transform your life. You know that? That's what his agenda is for your life. He wants to transform your life. It tells us in Philippians 2, 12. It says, Just continue the work of your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to act, to do, to, do, to fulfill his purpose for your life. So God, man, that idea of salvation, that continue working out, Wes was going to give me the tools to continue work out my salvation. See, when you pray to receive Christ, and it's the real deal for it, and your life changed like my change, and there's everything about me changed about it. Man, it's a done deal in heaven, man. God said that day, man, you were there. You were my son. You were my daughter. But here on earth, guess what happened? We're still working it out, aren't we? Day in and day out, I'm working out my salvation. And there's some tools that I need to use and develop that work out my salvation and so Wes showed me, being a follower of Christ, that you had to live a holy life. And uh, Leviticus uh, 20, 26 says this, you are, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy, and I will set you apart from the nations to be my own. I was now Christ's own. He had me. He owned me. So Wes introduced me to daily reading my Bible and how to understand the Bible. He introduced me to uh, praying. He introduced me to uh, fasting and journaling. He introduced me to some spiritual disciplines that are key for all of us. And I don't know where you're at in your walk with the Lord and what you think you may need to have to follow Christ and to really experience the fullness of what he has for you, but I tell you, you're not going to get any of that stuff apart from reading your Bible. You're not going to get any of that apart from prayer. You're not going to get any, any of that apart from practicing spiritual disciplines in your life. And so if you're struggling spiritually, man, the very first thing you've got to figure out, man, am I in God's Word daily, reading? Am I being filled up? Man, am I praying? Am I doing those things that God told me to do and I need to do? And so the more I started practicing the spiritual disciplines of reading and praying and fasting and journaling, the more God started transforming my life into this new creation that he talks about in Scripture, where Romans 12, 2, man, came a life for me. Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And God started that work in me, transforming me and changing me to the point where 
I was ready to surrender and do anything he wanted me to do. If you were here this past Wednesday, I don't know if you guys were here or not, but we had a speaker, David Platt was here, and he made this comment about that he, wants, he wanted to give God a blank check, right? Here's a blank check, write what you want to on that, God, I will do it. And I was at that point in my life saying, God, I will do anything you want me to do. Here's a blank check of my life. You write your plan, your purpose for my life, and I will do it. I prefer it not be ministry, but if it is, I'll do it, right? And so that night, man, or that period of, t- period of time in my life, I surrendered to the ministry, and I ended up going to Liberty University and got my Master's of Divinity in seminary, and I have a picture up here of me graduating uh, from Liberty there. And uh, after I graduated from Liberty, I ended up here at this church. This is the very first church I actually served at uh, as a full-time pastor. I've been part-time places. This is the very first church I've been at, and it's been almost 14 years ago uh, where I've been at. And... Um, the pastor, and I, the next picture is me being ordained here at the, the church uh, a number of years ago. And I'll tell you, that's Pastor Harper. That's our previous pastor up there with me. And tell you a funny story about Pastor Harper in my life. When I came to the church, I told Pastor Harper, I said, man, I, I know nothing about the ministry. Man, I love Jesus. Man, I went to seminary. I have all this book stuff. But about ministry, I, I'm clueless. So I need you to really mentor me and mold me and show me what I need to do. And he said, man, I'll do that for you. I'll be the guy who can do that for you. Well, he's here for eight months, and he leaves, Okay. Uh, now, he was here 17 years prior to that, but he's here for eight, eight months when I was there, and he leaves, and so I'm stuck, like, oh my gosh, I have to do, figure this out on my own. Um, but the cool thing I want you to know about my story, and I think encouraging you guys to take as well, is that God uses people. He uses people in my life to change my life, and he's going to use you if you are available to be used by him. And so that's the beauty of the gospel, isn't it? That God uses people, but also the real beauty is that God gives you real life. John 10, 10, I've come that you may have life. And that's what God wants to offer you, is a real, genuine life. For many years, I, I didn't follow Christ because I had too many things I was holding on to that I thought were going to give me life. You know, I, I would date girls I shouldn't date. I would go to, to bars. I would go to parties. I would do anything I could to try to grasp at this elusive thing called life that I thought was going to bring me fun and enjoyment. And it all was empty. It was hollow. It wasn't life at all. And the whole entire time, I man, God had life to offer me, and he has life to offer you. So I don't know where everyone's at spiritually right now. I don't know if everyone made a decision to follow Christ. But if you haven't, or maybe you have, and you're just holding on to some stuff in your life, I want to encourage you today to let go of those things and follow Christ. Because God's trustworthy. And he has a good plan for your life. And one of the coolest things that he did for me that I learned as I get let go of the things that were holding me back. For many years, I didn't want to pray to receive Christ because I didn't want to let go of my friends or girls or whatever it was I didn't want to let go of. Um, I thought, well, God, if I follow you, I'm going to can't do any of that stuff anymore. But here's what God did for me. And here's what I did for you. God changed my desires. And God wants to change your desires. He wants to change your heart. He wants to give you the opportunity to be his son and his, his daughter today. Today is a day of salvation. So whatever you have, I don't know what it is. It's different than people. It's holding you back from fully committing and giving God that blank check with your life. And let me encourage you today to let go of it and start being used by God to change the world we live in. God uses people, uses you to change lives.
The Bible tells us in Romans uh, 10, 9, if we declare with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And for many of you, that's what you need to do. And you need to confess that, you need to pray, you need to make that a heart decision for you. And God tells them, John 1, 12, he says this, yet to all who received him, to all those who are called by his name, he gave the right to become children of God friend of God, a child of God, the God of the universe, the God of creative thing wants you to be in his family. I can't think of anything more powerful than live, than, live for than that. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you, uh, God, just for the opportunity to come to your house and to worship. And Lord, I pray for each individual out here today. God, if there is something that they're holding on to that's keeping them from fully committing to following you, I pray today that you convict them of that. They let go of that and they pursue you with all their heart, all their energy, all their might, God, because you are so worthy. You're so worth doing those things, God. So I pray today for that person out there to let go of that. I pray for also the other person out there today who maybe has never prayed to receive Christ, who's never made a decision to follow him. Maybe they haven't heard, they didn't know. I don't know what their story is, but I pray to the day that they will make that decision to follow you, that today could be their day of salvation. And so, Father, they would just say a simple prayer like I said so many years ago, and it's a simple prayer asking you to come into your heart and to our lives, and it's just a prayer like this. Dear Holy Father, I know I'm a sinner, and I can't save myself. I believe Jesus was your son, and he came and lived a perfect life, and he died for my sins, and he was resurrected from the grave. Please ask for your forgiveness, that you be my Lord and be my Savior. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.